Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Good Lord, this border deal is a gigantic mess. It's a mess of a deal. And it's a mess of a deal because, well, what else was it possibly going to be? You had the Democrat from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, in on this deal. Did anybody think for a second that he could be trusted? You had Kirsten Cinema, the independent independent. Except for the fact that she's held a line on a few things. Weren't, weren't we discussing her as a socialist just a few months ago? Then you've got Senator James Langford. Langford of Oklahoma. This is a guy who, when it came to a conversation uh, regarding banking and what Janet Yellen was proposing and, and the threat against uh, regional banks, he was he was stellar, absolutely stellar. Why would he be in favor of this legislation for why why would he think that this has a value well part of this now is 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 the greater problem is that you had people engaged in a conversation about this legislation before the legislation came out there was not even a conversation that was had based on anything that was data driven it was all emotional this is terrible this is awful and then of course from the democratic side uh, this is a really smart piece of bipartisan legislation that republicans have to sign immediately otherwise they don't care about the border good gosh could we focus on actually what the bill the legislation states as opposed to where people want to go to their ideological corners for for the record, for the sake of clarity. I don't give a damn about your ideological corner. I only care if the legislation helps. By the way, if we're going to take a look at things, why not take a look at House Bill 2 that Republicans passed over 270 days ago that Senator Chuck Schumer refused to look at? If it comes from Republicans, it's no good. Stop with the nonsense. No one cares about the ideology. We care that we have a border that is protected. Tony Katz, that is me, by the way. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And, of course, the live stream going on, Rumble and YouTube and X and LinkedIn and Facebook, even though Facebook is a big hot mess as well. You had people already telling you that this was a disaster. They had never read the legislation. That's crap. It's crap. It's garbage. Now, I remember uh, I I discussed last week that Representative Dan Crenshaw had said the same thing. What, What are we all doing? Can we wait till we read the legislation? Well, now, it's, it's been less than 24 hours that the legislation is out, but we've had some chance to read the legislation, and there are, without questions, issues here. One of the big issues is this idea of where and when do we put into effect the idea of stopping the flow across the border. If you are to believe how the legislation is written and it's 5,000 people a day, that could get you to believing that you're talking about 1.8 million people being able to come across the border. Now, the people who support this legislation will tell you that's not it. That is absolutely not it. 
that you have a threshold that could be reached, and if reached, it would allow the president to shut the border down completely. Which is why I think Joe Biden was screaming about, give me the power to shut down the border. Even though he has the power. He's the president of the United States. He could do this right now. It's not even, it's not even a question. It's not even a debate. He could do it as we speak. He could do this at this very moment. That he chooses not to. That he chooses not to care about the border. That he chooses not to go visit the border. And by the way, a trip to El Paso, Texas, that is not a trip to the border. He hasn't gone to the border. He just hasn't. He doesn't care about it. That much is obvious. So this idea that that the 5,000 a day engages an idea that you could then shut things down, but it would still be 5,000 people a day, people are doing the following mathematics. I'm pulling out the calculator, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pulling out the calculator. And they're saying if you have 5,000 people a day and you multiply that by 365 days, so you got 5,000, and then you multiply it by 365, you're going to get 1.825 million people. That there, There's the number that has people concerned and for the record, rightfully so. But let's argue that they're hearing this incorrectly. They The data is being misrepresented because it's not properly understood what is in this piece of legislation. This brings us to Senator James Lankford, who put out on the X, sometimes you used to say uh, uh, Twitter, now, now, you, now you say X because that's the way it works. He's put out on, on, on X that this is totally misunderstood. That and, and, I, and I'm quoting here. The Border Emergency Authority has been the most misunderstood or maybe just misrepresented parts of the bill. He states, some people have said it would mean 5,000 people a day are coming into the country every day. That is absurd and untrue. So that was Senator Lankford speaking just yesterday uh, uh, about this. He writes, the emergency authority is not designed to let 5,000 people in. It is designed to close the border and turn 5,000 people around. Wait a second. You're making the argument that... The, the, the 5,000 number is, is turning those 5,000 people around. You're saying that those 5,000 don't automatically come into the country. That the 5,000 would set off the chain uh, reaction that would allow the border to be shut down by the president, which is something that the president can do anyway. So then what are we talking about here? The Border Emergency Authority, as Langford describes it, only lasts three years to force his administration to shut down the border and to give time for the next president to hire more agents and more officers. After three years, the emergency authority expires because we should have gained full control of our border by then. 
Okay. Okay. I I have no reason not to take, and I know that I'm going to be in a minority here, but follow me through all the way to the end. I have no reason not to take uh, Senator Langford at his word. The problem is I'm actually listening to his words and they don't make sense. The 5,000 people that you're letting into the country, you're not actually letting them in? Says who? Because the legislation would read, as we have seen these pieces of it, like 5,000 people have to cross over the border before a, a, a system, a kill switch could go into effect. <laughs> Wrong use of words, I apologize. And stop the flow. Now, one could argue that these 5,000 people are staying in Mexico until their cases are heard. That's, that, that is possible. But that's not the way it reads for everybody. And that's one of the big questions. Where do these people stay? According to Bill Malugan over there at, at Fox News, he is making the argument uh, that based on his reading of, of the border deal, that the Remain in Mexico conversation does exist. Here's what he says. No amnesty or legalization for anyone already in the U.S. illegally. This is how Bill Malugin, Malugin over at Fox News describes it. Funds an increase in ICE detention capacity to approximately 50,000 from the current 34,000. Here's where it gets interesting. At seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters per day or 8,500 encounters in a single day, Homeland Security is required, feel the air quotes, required to shut down the border uh, and turn away anyone who crosses. No new asylum claims will be allowed and anybody crossing will be removed. Would end the whole idea of, quote, I made it to U.S. soil, you have to process me, unquote. That would be over. Border Patrol would not process the illegal crossers and they would be removed. No asylum claim permitted unless it's made at a port of entry. Now, here's where Malugin continues. Quote, this does not mean 5,000 are allowed in before this authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained. Families would be released via ATD, alternatives to detention. And asylum cases would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under a new rapid expedited expulsion system. Those who fail will be quickly removed from the U.S. Those who initially pass would be released with work authorization and 90-day supervision until final asylum claim is determined. And the shutdown authority doesn't drop until crossings decrease significantly in the days following the shutdown. If you want to tell me that Homeland Security would, based on a certain number of people, be required to shut down the border, one now asks, how does that requirement take shape if the president has full purview of the border? Wouldn't the president actually have to go about doing the thing? And do you trust the president to do the thing? I'm not just talking about Biden in this case. I'm talking about any president in in, in this case. Thus, you know, our, our elections absolutely matter. The president has, and Bill Malugin notes this, the provi- there's a provision in the bill that would allow the president to suspend the shutdown authority. And I'm quoting here. It says, authorizes the president to suspend the border emergency on an emergency basis for up to 45 days if it is in the national interest. 
What happens on day 46? How would you stop him? Look, I I want to see moves at, at the border. I want to see legislation that makes sense. I'm going over this. I'm reading this. And yes, I find the people who had all of their opinions laid out before ever reading a piece of this legislation, I, I am dismissing them right out. That's, that's just worthless crap, guys. It's garbage. It's nonsense. It's completely unnecessary. It's the worst of us. It's the worst concepts among us. This legislation, to me, has, has a fair amount of issues. Because it seems that this 5,000 number does not, it, it doesn't compute. If you tell me 5,000 a day shuts down the border, and the border has seen at least 5,000 encounters almost every single day in the last three and a half years of the Biden administration, Biden would have to shut down the border. Do I believe that would be the case? Let me make a follow-up here. Do I believe that Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat beta male Connecticut, would favor legislation that shut it down? Do I believe that Democrats would vote for a piece of legislation that would engage a shutdown of the border when it is very obvious that as a party they favor open borders? Something is amiss. Something is amiss, and we need some more time with the legislation. That's not going to stop Chuck Schumer for calling for a vote, I think, on Friday. Because 370 pages is easily digested in just a few days, and why do you have to spend any more time on it? Let me give you another problem this legislation has. Funding for Ukraine and funding for Israel. Guys, I'm a Zionist. Israel has the right to exist, and Israel has the right to defend itself. Why are we having a funding conversation about Israel in this legislation? Why are we having a funding conversation about Ukraine in this legislation? And I support giving Ukraine bullets. Why, why, why are we, why, why is this in here? Why is this a part of the conversation? If this legislation regarding the border was so good, so valuable, so smart, so with it, shouldn't it be be passed of its own accord, having nothing to do with funding anywhere else? Why would you even allow people an opportunity to say no to it because of the funding when you could get a yes because of the strength of the legislation? That in and of itself makes me think that the legislation might not be as strong as people like Senator Chris Murphy are saying And it's very possible that Senator James Lankford is not either A, providing a full story, or B, doesn't recognize how it's going to be used against him. Oh, I think there's a lot of questions here. And I think those questions need a lot of answers. A massive amount of answers. I think we still have stuff to talk about, things we're going to learn over the next 24, 48, 72 hours. I pay no attention to the people who want to tell me no or tell me yes before they had read anything. We started reading, and there are significant questions that we should answer. Let's go answer them. I'm Tony Katz. January 6th. A day that for Democrats will not live in infamy. It will just simply be talked about until it's no longer of use to them. Tony Katz. 
<laughs> what, two on the nose? Tony Katz today, what's going on? Uh, that trial has been uh, delayed. That trial has been delayed, and this is a good, good thing. That you have this judge, Tanya Chutkin, saying, look, we don't know when the Supreme Court is going to respond to this. We don't know when they're going to uh, tell us and, and, and say to us, look, uh, we, we, we looked at this and uh, we're going to either honor requests from President Trump or, 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 or we're not going to. So uh, we're just going to delay this trial indefinitely and let the court do its thing. And when they're done, and by the way, this is the Trump uh, um, Smith, I should say, the, the special counsel, asking the court on, to rule on whether Trump can be prosecuted on charges relating to efforts overturning to overturn the 2020 election. So you got to wait for that to happen. And what has been interesting in this is that People like Merrick Garland, the attorney general, have been saying that Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, uh, has a right to a speedy trial. Jack Smith has no right to a speedy trial. The accused has a right to a speedy trial. But they don't have to take that right. They have the right to it. They can make the thing last as long as they want. They can throw up as many roadblocks as they choose. They can delay and deflect because they are innocent until proven guilty. America is awesome. Jack Smith is not pleased about this. Jack Smith is angry about this. Jack Smith wants things to move. Hey, let's just expedite this to the Supreme Court. Why in the world are we having delay and delay? And uh, Trump's going to check with this court and this appellate court and this one and that one. Boom! Right to SCOTUS. Well, SCOTUS said, sure. And then Jack Smith said, what? And now you have a delay. There is no conversation regarding these indictments that can be had without the term election interference because that's what's happening 100% it is election interference to schedule these trials now these things could have come years ago and Jack Smith wanted this trial to start the day before Super Tuesday that vast multiplicity of states all voting for the presidential nominee for the Republican Party for the Democratic Party for other parties you want this trial to start the day before? It's election interference. The Fonnie Willis case. I always called her Fannie Willis. It's Fonnie. Fonnie Willis case there in, in Georgia where she might go to jail for her financial improprieties. Um, election interference. Pick the case. You do it now? Election interference. This is Even guys like me who aren't Trump-trained guys 24-7, 365, honest people can look at something honestly. All election interference. So this is a kick in the face to Jack Smith. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, ladies and gentlemen. My God, that's just fantastic. Good. Thrilled. Overjoyed. Happy to see it. When is the trial going to start? Uh, I don't know. I could not... Could not begin to tell you. Now, some of this might depend on what the Supreme Court has to say. Supreme Court might wait until after November to make a decision. Not wanting to be people who are involved in election interference. We'll see what we see. This is Tony Katz today. Major Mike Lyons up next. 
I'm saying that our response to Iran was weak, um, far weaker than I actually anticipated, far weaker than, than I imagined, which is which is saying something because I wasn't expecting much. I wasn't expecting much from the administration. Three Americans killed. I was not expecting this administration to engage in a level of strength because in engaging in a level of strength might be seen by the party, the Democratic Party, as too, too much support for Israel. It might be seen as, oh, you're now the warmongers, Biden administration. Besides, we're already calling you Genocide Joe because you won't stop Israel from actually stopping the terrorist threat that is Hamas, which is, of course, connected to Iran. And Iran is, of course, the ones that killed three Americans. You can tell me about all the fringe groups you want. This response didn't seem like much. This response seemed like a whole bunch of nothing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us, retired United States Army. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna uh, share a couple of things with you in, in a second, sir. But, but first, uh, your, your take uh, to the response from the United States military, we hit strategic uh, targets. Uh, we, we hit with a precision, 125 plus precision, either strikes or precision munitions were utilized. That seems to be the focus of the administration. Was this a response that said you kill Americans? We deal with you properly. Well, Tony, thanks for having me. I thought it was a good first response. I don't think this is the last thing that we're going to do. I think it's part of now the new deterrence campaign to try to restore the balance back to, to where it should be. And that is uh, it should not be you know acceptable for these Shia militia groups to attack American forces that are there. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, 85 targets or so, it, it was good. I mean, we didn't we, we telegraphed enough for the leaders to get out of town. And, and I think that should have been a better target. I mean, if we didn't get any of those leaders within the first 24 to 48 hours after they attacked Americans. It's likely we weren't going to get them. But I still think they're on our radar the second they come back into uh, Iraq. Uh, obviously, they're all in Iran right now someplace, but they come back into Iraq, they should be targeted. So, so no, I'm, I'm OK with how this has started. And I'd like to see it continue. I'd like to see, for example, a no-fly zone over Iraq. I'd like to see a more uh, detailed campaign with regard to the situation. A no-fly zone would require uh, far more uh, a pressure from the United States and far more uh, engagement in, in, in the area. So I think there'll be some people who, who disagree with you on, on that one, Major, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point graduate. Uh, but there's the, the idea of, and, and you keep hearing this conversation about proportionality. Well, they killed three Americans, but we can't go overboard, right? You can't do too much. Can you describe this concept of proportionality and how very often politically it's utilized incorrectly? Sure. And, and it just has to do with um, what you know, the response has got to be, let's say, in kind. And in this case, uh, we traded off uh, the lives of three soldiers for a very significant uh, amount of physical damage that took place. Uh, the, the Iraqis claim that there were 16 killed on their side. I mean, if you're on the other receiving side of this, obviously you think that you're at war with the United States. Uh, but from a proportionality perspective, it means, st let's say, staying within this sandbox of Syria and Iraq. Um, I think that any attacks inside of Iran would increase the, the level of attacks. And in some cases, uh, disproportionality as a way of deterrence works for Israel, for example. They are disproportionate normally with regard to how they respond. But but in this case, uh, the United States, both inside of now Yemen and, and inside of Iraq and Syria, has 
fundamentally increased the attack level just a, a little bit, but not to the point where it's disproportional of taking out, you know, multiple, multiple sites, attacking into Iran and really increasing what was going on there. Hey, but Tony, one more thing about the no-fly zone. I don't say that lightly. I, I agree with you that, you know, in the past, that seems to be politicians throwing around, let's put a no-fly zone over over Iraq. And what I mean by that is uh, we, we already control the airspace. We don't, we didn't have, uh, the, we don't have to worry about SA-7s or, thir- or 300s or missiles firing our, our defenses out. But we need to must have, must have a better control of what's flying there in those drones. And it looks like we didn't go after them before. This, this was an accident. As it turns out, uh, the, the, the operators thought that the, the drone that hit the, the site was uh, a friendly drone. So that's my point about better no-fly zone, better area with regard to controlling the airspace there. That, that to me, is the tragedy of this whole thing, is that America... Well, they, they, they certainly uh, did allow the, the, the drone in. They, they mistook yeah. it for possibly one, one of ours. Right. It doesn't change the fact that Americans were killed and it was done right. uh, by, by Iran. But I want to get back to this proportionality conversation because people take proportionality as, well, they killed three of ours, so we have to take three of theirs. No, proportionality is supposed to be how do you engage an operation to ensure the safety and security of your people and your nation? And then how do you address that operation with the proper amount of hardware uh, and, and, and intel? So if the proper response is killing 100 members of the Iranian guard, well, then that's the proper response. And then proportionality is ensuring that you deliver the proper amount of bombardment to make that objective come true not that it's three for three i think the number should be three thousand for three but not everybody is on my side where does this administration see the idea of proper response well let's also let's also kind of talk both proportionality and deterrence so for example we already have a proportionate advantage over our enemy, just the, our equipment alone uh, from what you just said. I mean, we, we, we normally protect our forces. That, to me, was the greatest tragedy in this whole situation is that uh, we didn't protect our forces. And so, so normally, by everything we do, United States power and just the fact logistics, look at that base, for example, in Jordan. It's got to be one of the most austere places on the planet. The fact that we can get in there and keep soldiers fed, watered, and, and work missions, and they're working with Syrian defense forces and doing lots of different things just shows the level of U.S. superiority and might. But deterrence, I think that's what you're talking about, and because that that's about consequences. That's about making sure that if you do something, that there's going to be such a grave consequence. So so I that's kind of where they go together, proportionality with deterrence. Uh, and again, I'm not sure we're not sure we're there yet. I think it's going to take time whether the Shia militia groups know that there's going to be a greater consequence for attacking U.S. forces. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Um, part of a response is to send the message of don't do this again. And not only to uh, those who engage the attack, but those who might be looking from the outside as a matter of message being sent across borders mm-hmm. does this response tell anybody who the united states is serious or how many rounds would there have to be before people thought the the united states was serious well i, I think we're waiting to see what's happening right what's happening back channel with the ron to the united states right now what what specifically is going on there so like for example we saw uh, the 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 um shia militia groups now attack a syrian group a syrian defense force group that's working with the united states uh in combating isis and so perhaps this is what the shia militia groups are doing now they're not going to necessarily go after 
um, U.S. forces. You saw KT Hezbollah basically say that, that they were going to cease military operations. But that's not to say they won't attack other groups that are aligned with Americans. Now, this goes to show maybe that the Iranians don't have any kind of say or sway over what those Shia militia groups are doing. I'm not trying to give any benefit of the doubt here. Uh, but the bottom line is that that really might be the case. You know, these kinds of authoritarian governments don't control things that they would like to control. Uh, they have their own I- inside issues. They have their own challenges keeping uh, the power as, as it may be. So I think that um, we're going to see a little bit of a pause here before I think more targets come to play. But I do believe those targets will be more the leadership when they start coming back to Iraq to try to lead some of these organizations. Let me share some of this with you. This was uh, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, uh, doing, of course, the Sunday shows. And we'll start with uh, Face the Nation over there on CBS. So the U.S. officially has not assessed that Tehran directed the attack. But has Tehran done anything to rein in the militias that they fund and arm? Well, we know that Iran is behind these militia groups. They train them, they fund them, they arm them, as as your question suggests. Uh, And they do have influence with them. And I can't sit here today and tell you that Tehran has shifted its policy. Uh, What I can tell you is what the United States' approach is going to be, which is that if we continue to see threats and attacks from these militia groups, we will respond to them and we will hold those responsible accountable. Let's start with the step one uh, of this. There is no one seriously considering or engaged in a serious conversation that these groups aren't actually uh, uh, Iran. Proxy, militia groups, however you want to call it. This is Iran dictating the attack on American forces. No one's questioning that, are they? I think they are. I think they're saying, you know, dictating is is one thing and, you know, causation, correlation. Obviously, they've been funded, trained and set up by the Iranian government. But whether they're actually saying, OK, here's the target set that you're going after, I, you know, who knows? I think that that we have to see if whether that's the case or not. If we can show proof for that, that's that's different through intel. But I, I don't think that that is the case. I do believe that these Shia militia groups work off of intent, commander's intent, as we call it in the military. And what that means is. The Iranian government says, go do whatever you can to um, to keep America on their toes and to and to try to harass and interdict as much as you can on American forces there. Uh, Now, who's to say that uh, that they take that they've taken that a step too far. They say these one, you know, they send these one way suicide drones. We don't know how many they've sent in the past. We've just intercepted them as well. So I think that's more or less what's happening here. I'm, I'm not saying that the Iranians are specifically giving them targets, but I'm saying they've given them the intent to do what they're doing. So uh, I want to make sure we are clear about that, because I certainly believe it's possible that the Iranians were, were giving targets. Uh, your point is they're given basically a level of carte blanche, but it's still the Iranians making this happen. This isn't some rogue group making this rogue decision out there well out of bounds of what the Iranian authority is. The authority is go get them, Tiger. Yeah, I mean, it's more more than just an invisible hand. I'd give you that. Uh, it's it's again, it's by intent. They've given them all this equipment. They they've given them the high sign, let's say. But but the bottom line is they're not telling them, OK, on this date at this time at three o'clock in the morning, we're going to attack Americans at this position. I, I'm not even sure that she militia groups have got that level of, of you know dexterity or that level of precision with what what they're doing. And again, that that target was well outside, was was hundreds of miles away of where those Shia militia groups were. That's just why it was a drone, because that uh, and it's and again, it's pretty hard to send a drone drone from a couple hundred miles away 
and, and basically had a tent in the middle of the desert. Let's get to a, a part two. This was, again, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, this time on CNN. And to defend our troops, that's what he's going to continue to do going forward. You said it's just the beginning, and I just want to clarify. That means that there will be more strikes coming in the next few days? What it means is that we will take further action. I'm not going to obviously describe the character of that action because I don't want to telegraph our punches, uh, but there will be further action. Inside Iran, would you rule that out at this point? Look, sitting on a, a national TV program, I'm not going to rule in and rule out uh, any activity anywhere. Uh, what I am going to say is that the president will do what he thinks needs to be done and, again, reinforce the point that he's going to uh, defend our forces and also that he is not looking to get into a war. Well, he may not be looking to get into a war, but as I have argued, Major, the war is here. Iran is at war with us, even if we have yet to figure out we're at war with Iran. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. But but to this point, the, the question that Dana Bash was asking on, on CNN, well, I cannot envision the situation in which uh, Joe Biden has the resolve to put an end to the Ayatollah, the mullahs, the hardliners, the clerics, and let's start calling Iran Persia again and engage some trade and see a free uh, a free world. Um, is there any position that is taken by the U.S. military to say that the next hit is on Tehran and 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 hard? I think that uh, it's significant if that's the case. Um, I'm sure we have targets there. We could we can always go after. Uh, perhaps um, if we get proof that cruise missiles leave Iranian territory and hit American forces and have a mass casualty event, I mean that that would maybe be a scenario that that would happen. Um, but but again, um, that is a very big step up with regard to escalation. And, um, you know, we're, we wouldn't if we go to war with Iran, we're not winning anything from the sky. I mean, what, what does that even mean? I mean, we're, we're having a hard enough time trying to fend off the Houthis uh, and, you know, keeping that, that them at bay in the Red Sea. So I, I think that's all part of this situation. You know, that no one wants to. They don't want to either. Uh, they, the Iranians want the United States out. That's for sure. Um, diplomacy has clearly failed there, but um, we just at this point need to get them to stop attacking Americans on the ground. Well, that's that's not going to stop if they feel that it's a it's a stratagem that provides them uh, some level of, of value. And certainly they can argue that the killing of three Americans provides them some value now. Yeah. And, and, and it's 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 how they operate. It's it's a thousand cuts. It's they you know, they start with this kind of this low grade retro irregular warfare uh, is what they do. And, and we respond conventionally. Um, but again, if, if it can tip over somehow there in the Middle East, if it can tip. So, for example, the Kurds, the Kurds still remain uh, an enemy of the Iranians as well. They, they're considered separatists. The Iranians have attacked them over the past three months. The, the Iranians have problems on all their borders, their southern borders in Baluchistan. You saw them attack into Pakistan, separatist groups there. So just, you know, conflict is the, is the nature of the Middle East. Um, and that's why, that's why the United States is going to continue to be there, at least, to try to contain it, keep it in a sandbox. And, and unfortunately, uh, commanders are going to expect losses at times. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There is more to get to. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.
This is where I think um, Joe Biden's experience uh, plays to America's strength. Joe Biden's experience in terms of keeping our allies in the region, the fact that, that our uh, take back against the Houthis was a nine-nation coalition, uh, particularly with our British allies taking part in terms of planes being la- uh, launched. Um, but I think this is this is a challenge. There, if there was an easy answer on this, uh, but I, I obviously our pushback against these militia groups prior to the attack in Jordan was not sufficient, and he is ratcheting things up. And we've heard over the weekend that uh, these strikes are not over, and I think there probably will be need for additional strikes. That's Senator Mark Warner of Virginia talking about Biden's experience. Wouldn't Biden's experience have explained to him that you need to be proactive in preventing these kinds of attacks as opposed to reactive after American troops are killed because strength is the only thing that the Iranians and the mullahs understand? Only thing when we're talking about the Midwest that they understand. Wouldn't wouldn't the experience have taught him that no 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 but somehow he's got the experience for this uh for this moment maybe his his lack of knowledge brought us into these more violent and and dangerous moments across the globe i think that's the way voters look at it speaking of the voters i've got more coming up